to laugh i had to laugh i promised somebody i would on this special episode of so have you seen where i am reviewing the 2019 film the masterpiece that was joaquin phoenix in the movie the joker ladies and gentlemen welcome to so have you seen i am your host noel cruz i thank you very much for joining me uh I thank you for my little, uh, I hope you appreciated my little maniacal laugh intro. Um, I promised somebody near and dear to me that I would do it when I told them what the episode would be about. So, Devin, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, How are you guys? I hope you had a great weekend. I had, for lack of better words, an absolutely beautiful weekend. And the reason why it was beautiful is because I was blessed to celebrate my 45th birthday and it was amazing it really was um given these trying times man where we can't get together as, as much as we would want to i was surrounded by people who are near and dear to me people who i absolutely love who are i mean i miss some you know unfortunately i wasn't with everyone but uh i got a lot of love i got a lot of well wishes you know, I, I spend a, bar- a weekend over my brother Jimmy's house with a barbecue and, and some phenomenal whiskey. So for next year, if you guys want to get me a gift, I love whiskey or bourbon, either or. Um, so it was a really phenomenal time, but I was in great company. I was surrounded by friends and family. So I want to thank God, the universe, whatever elements that make this life happen for us. I, I, I am grateful i am humble and here's to 46 i hope uh i hope you guys are with me next year and i get to talk about it on my on my podcast that i'm coming to love so much so thank you guys again for listening i'm sorry that this episode was delayed as always i do try to record on sundays but given that it was my birthday weekend and given to the slight hangover that i had um i wasn't actually in the best of conditions to do the show but today is monday i am re-energized today is indigenous people day again it is indigenous people day so we're celebrating that as well um (laughs) and i want to get on with the show um i chose this film as the second in my series of film reviews as always uh, one of the things i wanted to do primarily with this podcast was make it more of a Kind of a review platform where I would give my personal opinion, my critique, shall we say, on films primarily in the superhero genre and TV shows and so on. So I do want to touch on two things. One, I want to touch on, before I get into the Joker very quickly, I just want to touch on uh, the TV show that is on Amazon Prime called The Boys that launched their second season, I want to say about a week ago, a week or two weeks ago, and they and they finally threw up their last episode this past weekend. And for lack of better words, it, it's it was just fantastic. I don't want to give anything away. Um, uh, just to give you a quick rundown, if you have not seen The Boys, the best way that I could describe the TV show is that it it kind of circles around a group of superheroes that are pretty much 
created by a corporation. Now, this is based on a graphic novel. Uh, I have glanced at the graphic novels throughout the years. I never really got a hold of one and kind of sat down and enjoyed it. But the premise was always very interesting to me because it plays along the lines of think like the Justice League or think X-Men or think, I mean, definitely more Justice League for sure or Avengers or what have you, a superhero group. But they definitely reflect more of like that Justice League feel because they have a character who's very, I mean, almost identical to Wonder Woman, to the Flash, to Aquaman. Their version of Batman is a bit extreme. Their Superman character is absolutely and totally narcissist and flawed. And it's just incredibly interesting because, you know, you, you spend time growing up and reading about superheroes and, you know, and, and the very common tropes and the very, you know, the very <clears throat> consistent formulas of what makes a superhero, excuse me. And this show, the TV show Boys, just pretty much flips that on its head and it makes them, for lack of better words, human um, they are flawed characters. They are characters that suffer everything from narcissism to addiction to sexuality to to so many, so many, you know, just basic elemental things that make us human, you know, in, in such a beautiful and flawed way. You know, it is comical. I do not recommend seeing this with kids, even though it is based uh in the superhero genre it is absolutely 100 percent adult themed it can be very graphic in terms of violence it could be you know it does depict sexuality in certain areas and it's definitely uh more to the adult fan base of the genre but it's well worth it the episodes go by fairly quickly in the two seasons that i have seen thus far nothing has dragged i never sat down for a moment and watched an episode and been like, okay, this is taking too long. When is it going to be over? So I hope that they're able, moving forward into the third season, to maintain this kind of rhythm. The show is incredibly entertaining. And if you have Amazon Prime, check it out for sure. Definitely well worth it. Giving it my personal review that is 100% spoiler free because I don't want to give anything away to anyone. And there will come a day in an episode that I would love to dedicate to the boys, you know, based on all their seasons, whatever season they would be up to at that current time when I do the episode. I would rather dedicate my review to that segment, to that one segment based on the show. So as of now, season two, I would give a very, very strong four stars. You know, you may see the contrary. You may see people give it two and a half stars or two stars. And the reason for that rating was that Amazon chose to release the episodes on a weekly basis as opposing what they did with season one, that they released it all in one shot. So people were really kind of frustrated and agitated that they couldn't binge watch it. Me personally, I agreed with the way Amazon released it. I thought you get to savor the episodes a little more. You know, there are certain things you can binge watch, in my opinion, and certain things that I would rather just take my time and, you know, really, really savor. So taking that out of the equation, I, I thought the writing for this season was great. I thought the acting was a lot better. You see a lot of the characters kind of evolve. Uh, the subject matter was very, very reflective of our time, of our current, you know, political climate, social climate. So 
if I had to, I would I would definitely give it a, a, a strong four star rating. For me, generally five is, you know, masterpiece territory, that it's it's perfect. So I would say I would fairly say that a good four star rating would work and that would that would extend to seasons one and two. Seasons one just kind of blew me away with initially what they started with in season two kept that going. So guys, give it a chance. Definitely worth the watch, especially if you're into the genre. I think you'll really enjoy it. And that being said, we now move on to the segment that you guys tuned in for, which is my movie review of the 2019 film Joker with the incredible talent that is Joaquin Phoenix. So given that I always keep up with you know, movie news and especially on films based on superheroes or comic books or so on. There was quite a bit of rumbling about this film before it even got started. Um, it was everything from who do you cast to what, you know, what is this movie going to be about other than the Joker? Like, is Batman going to be in it? Is it going to be part of the cinematic universe? Um, there, there was just a lot of talk. Todd Phillips being the director. Todd Phillips was known for a series of films called The Hangover, which in contrast to The Joker are, I mean, literally the alpha and omega of cinema because hang, the Hangover films are phenomenal. They're comedy. They're irreverent. They're silly. They're, you know, they're a good time. They're, the first film had an incredible impact. The second film was relatively funny. And the third film, you know, just, I guess... I don't want to say a money grab, it's not fair to say, because it, it definitely was hysterical and it had it, its moments, but I don't think a Hangover 3 was necessary, but if you do a trilogy and round it out, it worked for all intents and purposes. And Todd Phillip, Todd Phillips, excuse me, um, as one of my dearest friends, you know, Alex says to me, he when when we found out that he would be directing this is, that he has a really strange sense of humor. So the dynamic of him as a director for this film would be incredibly interesting. To which I I was excited. I was excited about this film from Jump. A lot of friends and a lot of people that um, are into the genre and are into superheroes and superhero films. And I have a group of Facebook friends that uh, one of my friends, Joe Orman. Joe, I hope you're listening, buddy. I hope you're doing well. He set up a uh, like a fan page of our closest friends and family. It's called Let's Talk Superheroes. And we keep each other up to date on TV shows and movies and so on. And I remember that the majority of people that heard about this were very, very reluctant to see it happen. You know, um, there's another gentleman uh, by the name of Kenny. Kenny, I, I, Kenny, I've never pronounced your name. I believe it's Palace. Uh, if I got it wrong, forgive me, brother. But Kenny, who also has a, a great podcast himself called Brothers in Armchairs, you want to check that out. Um, Kenny was also extremely reluctant as well. And I think that uh, Kenny is like a super movie fan. He even loves like those, like, you know, there are B movies. Like Kenny's a big fan of like C, D, E, and F movies. Like he just, you know, if he gets a kick out of it, man, he'll he'll praise it till the cows come home. And if he, he doesn't like it, he's very vocal about it. So Joe and Kenny, a couple other guys on our Facebook page, were really reluctant, you know. And I understood their 
their concerns. It's like, why give the Joker an origin story? The majority of who the character is, is that he is unknown. His background has never truly been fulfilled. We don't need an origin story for him. To a degree, I respect that. But I also think that one thing that is incredibly elemental would be, at least to his character, and they have touched in the past on who he is, particularly in one comic book, <clears throat> excuse me, called The Killing Joke, which was released in 1988. Uh, that was about as close an origin as you got to who the Joker was, a failed comedian who had a girlfriend who was in debt, who was running out of money. He does a favor for the mob. You know, things go wrong. He dresses like like a mob, like the mob's kind of ringleader, a character that they would later call the Red Hood. You know, he that mob gets cornered by Batman and he's involved. He's panicking. He doesn't know how to escape. He's trying to run away. He has technically nothing to do with what's going on other than being a patsy. And he gets caught in a warehouse with Batman or, or not in a warehouse, excuse me, in a in a chemical factory with Batman. Batman kind of startles him. He moves back, you know, just saying, no, no, like he doesn't. He thinks Batman's going to hurt him or attack him. He flips over and he falls into a vat of acid. Boom. And there's, you know, at least in the world of comic books, in, in modern storytelling, that was the birth of the Joker. That was the origin in 88 that was given to us. The Killing Joke is an incredible book. Probably one of the most essential comic books or graphic novels you will need to read if you really want to get to know the character. So as that progressed into the 1989 film with Tim Burton, they kind of used a little bit of that element. Particularly, I mean, they totally used the... the falling into a vat of acid as the kind of the launching pad. But again, he's never ever really had an origin. And I thought as a fan and as, as a huge Batman fan and being Batman's number one nemesis, I always thought that it would be favorable or it would, it would do justice to the character to at least see the jumping off point where the descent into madness came. So cinematically, you've had Cesar Romero, who you guys know I absolutely love and adore from the 66 Batman TV show. He was the first incarnation of the Joker. Then in 89, when Tim Burton did the Batman film, the biggest news of that film I mean, and, and anybody who was alive during that time, you know, I mean, it was Batman T-shirts, Batman pins, Batman sneakers, Batman baseball caps. It was like a fever. And one of the biggest news elements of that was that Jack Nicholson was cast as the Joker. And if even looking at that film today, you see that the majority of film is dedicated to the Joker. And with Jack Nicholson getting, you know, top billing on the billboard in Times Square, there was a huge Batman symbol poster. I remember I was even willing to steal it if I could. Um, but it it was just, it had people in a frenzy, whether you were a comic book fan or whether you were not. And that was 
a really hot thing going on. So after Nicholson's portrayal, there was rumor that he would be in either Batman Returns or the third film that was supposed to be called Batman Triumphant. Not what turned out to be Batman Forever, but there was supposed to be a movie called Batman Triumphant where Jack Nicholson was supposed to come back as a hallucination because the main villain was going to be Scarecrow. So Scarecrow was going to, you know, gas Batman and Batman would relive his fight with the Joker and it would bring Jack Nicholson back into play. That never panned out. So the following actor would give life to the character in a new way by giving the Joker what I believe is his voice. And that is the actor Mark Hamill when he did Batman the Animated Series. His cadence, his maniacal laughter, his dialogue. He literally is the voice of the Joker. He really is. Mark Hamill blew everyone away. You know, I mean, when he walked into to be this character, you're like, oh, man, Luke Skywalker is going to be the Joker. Are you serious? Lo and behold, not only was he the Joker, he is till this day the voice. And many fans will will agree to that. And many fans, you know, attest to that. Like whenever they do an animated film now and rarely if Mark Hamill is not cast as the Joker, a lot of people are like, oh, man, why didn't they get Mark Hamill? So his you know, it's not an impact now. It's just it's it's legend. It's it's history. You know, at least in that realm, that is where Hamill is forever connected to this character. So from 1989 till about 2008, there were quite a few Batman films released, but they never touched on the Joker until Christopher Nolan did Batman Begins, kind of redefined the genre. The film ends with the incredible Gary Oman as Lieutenant Gordon at the time, handing Batman a piece of evidence telling him you know, we have a new case. We're dealing with somebody who is a bit off the cuff. He's theatrical like you. And he leaves a calling card. And when Batman flips a card, it's a Joker card. Encased in like a little plastic evidence envelope. And I remember seeing that in the theater. And you could audibly hear people be like, oh, shit. You know, like, all right, things are going to get serious. And serious. It's funny. I, I should choose that word. Because the sequel of the film, the banner was Why So Serious? And it was something that Heath Ledger just took, ran with, and he changed the face of the character forever. Forever. You know, unfortunately, it was something he would not live to see because he passed away before the release of the film. Heath Ledger died before the release. I think he died in February of 2008, and the movie would be released in July of 2008. So he never got to see that fulfilled. But honestly, he wouldn't have to because he raised the bar so high with that performance that nobody could get to it. I mean, he would even win Best Supporting Actor, the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as the Joker. Moving forward, the character really wasn't touched on until they released a film called Suicide Squad, a very disappointing movie, at least in my book, with with my least favorite version of the Joker. This was, it it was incredibly frustrating because I think Jared Leto is an incredible actor. 
but this was a take on the character that was just wrong. It was wrong. He was like a a gangster club kid. He was everything the Joker wasn't. That's all I can say. He had these tattoos on his face. It was like a and no offense, but he was like a millennial Joker. Like they were trying to I guess change him for the times and and I'm all for that, but it could have been done better and it just wasn't. It wasn't. It was a terrible terrible exercise in what such a beloved character should be but the one good thing that came out of that letdown of a performance is that it brought this film into light now i remember when they were going to do batman begins and they had not yet cast batman christian bale had not yet been cast i remember that I had seen Gladiator with Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix. And I always would say, I'm like, you know, if they ever do a Batman movie, they should get this Joaquin Phoenix guy to play Batman, bro. He just looks, there's something about his face, you know, and he, Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix has suffered personal loss with the death of his brother, River Phoenix, who was an incredible actor, gone way too soon. You know, so you could tell that there's, there's this look on Joaquin's face that he knows sorrow, that he knows pain that he knows loss and i'm like dude that's bruce wayne not only that but he has black hair he's you know he's very striking you know he's a handsome guy especially back when he was in his younger days he was very very striking looking guy and i said to myself i was like you know what they should make him batman bulk him up a little bit and i mean i mean if anything he would be a phenomenal study on bruce wayne why don't we focus more a little bit on the Bruce Wayne aspect of Batman in the sense of him out of the cowl, like on the, you know, focus on him being a detective on why he's so thorough on, on his relationships with people. Cause if you're, if you're a grown ass man, as much as I love Batman, but if you're a grown man and you dress up in a bat suit and beat people within an inch of a coma fighting crime, I want to know what you're about, bro. Like, I want to know what you do on a day off, <laughs> you know? Other than maybe fix the Batmobile and polish your gadgets. And he was always like my number one pick. And then they went with Christian Bale and Christian Bale did the trilogy. And then Affleck would follow in, in you know, the Batman versus Superman movie and the Justice League and so on. So when they casted him in the lead, I was like, yo, this is this is very interesting. And a lot of haters came out. Joaquin Phoenix isn't funny. I'm <laughs> like, dude. If, first of all, if you if you if you if your issue was that Joaquin Phoenix wasn't funny enough to be the Joker, you didn't deserve the movie. That's that's just my opinion. But it 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 was striking because I had seen him. He had done so much work after Gladiator. He had done a motion picture called Her. He is in one of my favorite films called Walk the Line, which is the biography of Johnny Cash. And I, I will say this proudly, the last 15 minutes of that film make me cry like a baby. I don't know why, just tears rolling down my face, man. That to me is one of his best performances ever. 
He was also in a film, I believe, called The Master, which was incredible with Philip Seymour Hoffman. If I have the title wrong, guys, as always, you can let me know via email. So have you seen one at gmail.com or on my Instagram handle? So have you seen? But he was in her. He was in Walk the Line. He was in The Master. He was in this really kind of crazy vigilante movie that kind of gave you, you know, like the embers of what he would be as a Joker called You Were Never Really Here which was kind of under the radar. Not many people spoke about that film, but it was a hard film to watch in certain ways. So I knew that he was capable. A lot of people were reluctant. And again, a lot of people were just like, why do we need an origin of the Joker? They're going to humanize him. They're going to make him compassionate, you know, not compassionate or, you know, they're going to they're going to make you feel as though you know, you can empathize with him or whatever the case. We don't want that. He needs to be the villain. He's always the villain. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. People had legitimate concerns. And I'll be honest, if you're going to ruin that character, leave him alone. But I kept saying my argument stood. I want to see the jump. I want to see the jump off point. I want to see where he just stopped caring. Because he's human. I mean, he wasn't born the Joker. Let's be for real. For for as much as you love a character and as much as you want him to be, you know, the greatest villain, arguably, that exists in the history of comic books, he is human. He has no supernatural element to him. He's not, you know, he's not Dr. Doom. He's not, you know, Thanos. He's not none of these characters. He is just a man, a man who is completely insane. So that is what I was willing to pay to see, the jump. And I remember I went, as always, with a large group of friends. My brother Tony was with me. My nephews, Victor and Devin, as always, were with me. I had a couple of other people with me, some close friends, and we walked in. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if this was going to be an action movie, you know, like very, you know, with very typical comic book action movie elements you know i had seen they had released a picture of joaquin in the makeup many people were disappointed they thought he was going to have like a scarred laughter and it wasn't it was just a basic clown face done by a very simple person you know there was like no mysticism to it or nothing evil or sinister it was just a very average looking man with clown makeup on and i'm like okay well that's you know that's oh he looks stupid okay fine the movie will tell otherwise i walked into the theater we saw it in imax and the movie starts out with this radio station that's very similar to one that we had in New York City, a thing is still around, it's called 1010 Winds. It's like, you give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world, you know. And it just starts in this, like, what looks like an abandoned warehouse, and it shows, you know, Joaquin's back looking in a mirror, and he's putting on makeup, he's smoking a cigarette, and automatically you were transported to, like, 1983. You know, when New York was not at its best. It was very grimy, it was dirty, it was run down. Joaquin had lost an incredible amount of weight for this performance. And I mean, I would say that he is a method actor because he looked 
practically emaciated. One scene in particular where he's stretching the shoelaces out of his boots. You could probably see his entire vertebrae, his lungs, his ribs, his kidneys. It's jarring. You know, this, this, this intro of him just sitting in front of a mirror, putting on makeup. Then he takes his index fingers and he puts them to the corners of his mouth and he just starts to stretch his mouth out to as far as the elasticity he could take it. Just stretching it. That it looked uncomfortable. It looked painful. And his eyes start to weld with tears. And then suddenly he just lets his fingers go and his mouth goes back to normal. And he's weeping. Or not weeping, but there are tears coming down his face. That intro was a testament that whatever levels of comfort you had walking into this theater are now gone. Because this would be one of the most uncomfortable experiences you would have in your life. And I would agree to that very much. This, what Todd Phillips did, and also Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, who was a, one of the top producers of this film. Bradley Cooper was in A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. He was in the Hangover movies. Um, he's been in quite a few films. He was one of the producers of this film. And he, along with Todd Phillips, said that they wanted to do something different, something authentic, but in the world of DC. So this was kind of a standalone film. But more than anything, it was a character study. And I never, ever, 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 ever thought of seeing the Joker in a film that was a character study. But if there were ever anyone in the world of comic books that had to be the first person to get a film based on them as a character study, holy shit, this was the one. Because the nuances, the detail, every little thing up until the end of this film works. And I have my examples. So first thing that grabbed me in this film was that he has a laugh that apparently he can't control. Joaquin bursts into laughter when he's nervous, when he's anxious, when he's angry. It's uncontrollable. And there's a scene that a little boy is playing with him, you know, on a bus. And he starts making, Joaquin starts making funny faces. And the boy's mother gets agitated. And she's like, leave him alone, you know, to her son. She tells Joaquin to leave her son alone. And Joaquin starts with his maniacal laughter. And the woman just looks at him like he's crazy. And as he's laughing... He extends her this laminated card that says, please excuse me as I have a condition that I cannot stop uncontrollably laughing or something along those lines. And that is, that was the first brilliant step that I was like, hmm, because it makes sense. You know, it, it, it took away that, that element of him being just a, a cheesy two dimensional character. It made him human. There are certain things. That, I mean, people have Tourette's. People have certain conditions where they cannot control themselves. And how better to justify that to the clown prince of crime than making his affliction an uncontrollable laughter? That was where I said, okay, that's one. Then as the movie progresses, you see that 
the character he plays, Arthur Fleck, is quite possibly the average man that is on the lowest end of the total pole. He's just, he's not rich. He's, he's in just, I don't know if the word is like a, a, a schmo or, or he's just an everyday guy who, who's just trying to get by. You know, that's how the movie projects him. I mean, at the very beginning of the film, he suffers an attack. He's, he's assaulted by a group of kids. You know, he sees a therapist. He's trying to better himself. You know, he has to take medication for his condition. He has a lot going on with his life. He has an ailing mother. So he turns, you know, to a TV talk show host, you know, who he gravitates to because he has aspirations of being a stand-up comedian. And he's not a good one. That even his mother tells him. And ironically, her, her name of her name of affection for him is Happy. She tells him, Well, Happy, don't you have to be funny to be a comedian? So even people closest to him don't really support what he's trying to do. But nonetheless, he he dreams that he has a great relationship with his talk show host, uh, played by Robert De Niro. And it just, it, it shows you how fragile this dude is. He has a next door neighbor who's a very attractive young lady who has a daughter. You could tell that there is some kind of an interest there that, you know, that, that he may, he may be, have a crush on her or something along those lines. But you could tell she, she changes him whenever her presence is seen in the movie he smiles. He he seems more himself. He seems less guarded. He seems less cautious. And it's done very beautifully that it would be her that is the light in the movie for him. His mother also has delusions that, you know, Thomas Wayne, who is the father of Bruce Wayne and who is the, the head of Wayne Enterprises and Wayne Foundation who's extremely wealthy, that he is somehow going to save, financially at least, her and Arthur, who is played by Joaquin Phoenix, because she worked for the Wayne family. That was a very interesting dynamic for me. Because she was obsessed with it. She kept saying, Thomas Wayne is a good man. You'll see he's going to take care of us. He's going to take, take us out of this. And, you know, Arthur tells her, Mom, you just, I mean, why would he take care of you? You just worked for the family. You know, he's not, you're just an employee. He's not going to come and save the day. And she insists and she tells him, listen to me. Thomas Wayne is a good man. He's going to take care of us. So she continues with that beat over and over again. Living his everyday life, you know, he's confronted by a lot of just the, the, the darkness of the times. He's attacked on a train, you know, he's beaten almost to death until he retaliates. And in his retaliation, he kind of finds a degree of peace in one of the most violent parts of the film immediately thereafter is probably one of the most beautiful parts of the film where he just begins to kind of almost do this feng shui dance that he's like calming his soul or in that moment of rage he found peace and in that moment of rage 
with so much going against him that he that he finally fought back it bought him peace and that is a very defining moment of the film that kind of changes his persona he becomes a little bit more i don't want to say aggressive but he becomes a bit more confident he has a bit more of a pep in his step he interacts with his neighbor to whom he finds attractive his he becomes more focused on writing his comedy and things are looking well up until he sees a note that his mother insists he sends to thomas wayne she's constantly writing him notes so he he reads one of them and in this note his mother whose name is penny addresses the fact or at least in her mind that author is their son when i saw that part in the theater my jaw dropped because one i thought it was a very bold move because if this was in fact the case that they're alluding that thomas wayne had an affair with this woman penny fleck who would then bear his son that he would not claim or recognize because he is the product of an affair that would make the joker bruce wayne's brother so that would make batman's mortal enemy his brother and i was like you know what this is different but this is a very bold move this is one of the boldest things i've ever seen you know what why not let's go they had me for the ride they had me for the ride i said let's go let's see let's see where we take this because it's either going to be incredible or it's going to fall flat on its face in that letter it gets author to go to wayne manor to confront thomas wayne on whether or not his mother's allegations are true as he goes and again these are the details and the nuances that made this film an absolute masterpiece as he's walking towards the house there's like a little kind of playground and there's a little boy playing and as author's walking towards the house he puts on a red nose he pulls out a magic wand and he starts doing tricks as a clown and he speaks to the little boy through the gates of wayne manor you know i'm 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 speaking about this and i'm thinking about how i felt and it's amazing because i remember it was just done so well it literally gave me goops goosebumps now maybe i'm overreacting but maybe it's just a hardcore batman fan in me but it was done so beautifully because you're looking you me knowing full well the history of these characters and, and their seething hatred for one another the potential that they could be family it's just it's blowing my mind so he introduces himself he goes my name is arthur what's your name and the boy says my name is bruce and arthur says bruce what a you know like what a great name i think something along those lines and he starts to grab the boy's face and he puts a smile on his face with his fingers immediately you hear a man's voice you know you there get away and it's revealed to be none other than alfred the butler and alfred confronts him he says don't touch this boy you know it's 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 a very hostile exchange and Arthur, you know, he's trying to be calm. He said, listen, I just want to talk to Thomas Wayne. I'm Arthur Fleck. My mother Penny used to work here. And the minute he says that, you could tell by Alfred's face that, you know, her name bears some kind of an ill ill correlation. Like she's not, you know, like, as they say, person non grata. He's like, your mother was fired. You know, he, he kind of tells him. And Arthur's like, no, she wasn't, this and that. So they have a confrontation, a physical confrontation. 
at least through the gates of the house, and Arthur leaves. Now, during this time, the Gotham City that is pretty much incredibly similar to New York in the 1980s is going through like a political upheaval. You know, so there are riots, there, there's a lot going on. You know, the city's on a boiling point, or at a boiling point, better said. So, author finds Thomas Wayne at some kind of a, a film function or a film festival, and he confronts him. And he says, you know, are you my dad? And Thomas Wayne says, look, your mother wasn't well. She was in love with me. You know, she didn't have you. You're adopted. You know, you're not my kid. To which he also punches him in the face. And he says, you ever touch my son again and I'll fucking kill you. So it was a very heated exchange. But now it leaves author confused. So is he the offspring of Thomas Wayne or was he adopted? Because his mother never revealed that. He goes to Arkham Asylum. Now, Arkham Asylum is one of the centerpieces of Batman's world because that's where all of the villains are primarily kept. It's, a, it's like a psychiatric hospital because the majority of his villains have psychiatric issues. Batman himself, he's not necessarily normal. There was a phenomenal uh, short, I think it was a six-issue series where they locked Batman in Arkham Asylum because they thought he was crazy. So this is where you have the Penguin, the Riddler, Two-Face, Poison Ivy. This is where they would all come. So ironically, the Joker's mother, that's where she was because she was mentally unstable. She had, you know, she was not well. Yet she was able to adopt a boy. When Arthur gets a hold of her medical background and sees what happens and it's revealed to him that she was mentally unstable and they kind of do a flashback on his mom and in this flashback i want you guys to take a, a very quick look and tell me that the young version of his mother does not remind you in some way shape or form of harlequin the woman who would later be his sidekick and his love interest in the comic books in the animated series she she gave me a very strong resemblance to Harley Quinn. And it was revealed that she did adopt a little boy and that the little boy had suffered at the hands of her multiple boyfriends, physical abuse, mental abuse. He was tied up. He was beaten. And that the little boy would laugh to kind of take him away from the, you know, from all the badness he endured. This is where a lot of my friends and a lot of, you know, my my contemporaries who enjoy the genre, this is this was their fear now come to light. Oh, you're going to make him somebody relatable, somebody who's been through a lot. You know, you're going to you're going to want people to be compassionate towards his character. That shouldn't be the case. So now I was beginning to see their concern. But as he is reading his mother's file is when he realizes that he was adopted. And it is one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie because, again, author laughs in moments of discomfort and anxiety and heartbreak and pain. And he's laughing, but tears are rolling down his face like his life was a lie. And that is exactly why Joaquin Phoenix, one of the reasons why he won that Academy Award for Best Actor, because that was a scene.
that was a scene. You felt his pain. You felt his betrayal. He's been taking care of a woman who's not even his birth mother, who used to let her boyfriends beat him over and over and over again. And now comes the reckoning. And he goes into his mother's hospital room. She was taken to the hospital after she had some kind of a nervous breakdown. And he reveals to her that he knows now the truth. And he he kills her. He suffocates her to death in her hospital bed. And that was a jump off point. And for me, that's pretty much all I needed to see. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to see a man, you know, suffocate his adoptive mother, suffocate his adoptive mother to death. That's not what I was looking for. But as for the character, I needed to see where the jump off point was. And sure as hell, that was it. He pays a visit to his neighbor to whom he was infatuated with. And we all come to see that maybe all the times that he visualized himself with her, she was never really there. It was all in his mind. And he embraces little by little who he was meant to be. He starts applying the makeup. He starts dancing with confidence he ties up some loose ends with people who have taken advantage of him in some very violent ways. Be cautious when you see this film because there are some pretty hardcore moments. And then you have what has now become one of the most iconic scenes in motion picture history. is when he's dancing down the stairways that he would trudge up throughout the film two or three times. That seemed like a never-ending staircase. Now he's coming down, dancing, kicking to a song, I believe, by Adam Ant called Rock and Roll. That's bass heavy and drum heavy. And he's kicking and he's pumping his fists in the air and he's spinning around like he doesn't have a care in the world. He goes into the city that is having protests with people wearing clown masks because... The vigilante who did the subway murders early in the film, they said, was dressed as a clown. And the, the descendants of Gotham City and the people who lived in Gotham were fed up with the status quo. And they looked at this vigilante as some kind of a, a, a rebel, uh, a person who wouldn't take things anymore or who wouldn't accept the status quo. It turns out that Arthur Fleck is invited on to the, to the Murray TV show. And he has a sit down with the person he idolized on TV and he starts, he feels like he's living out his dream. Little by little, that interaction begins to deteriorate into absolute violence. And that's where the Joker lets the world know who he is on live TV. He's apprehended. Riots are taking place throughout Gotham City. You see cars flipped over, you know, cars burning, firebombs, uh, Mazeltov cocktails being thrown, you know, smoke grenades, flares, just absolute chaos. And the police are driving him in the backseat of their car, apprehended him for the murder he committed on live TV. And all the while in the backseat, 
he looks like a little boy driving through what looks like a carnival. He's smiling and he's 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 just he's in awe of what's going on and how people are wearing clown masks and how they can relate to him. Through the chaos and confusion, an ambulance hits his police car and practically annihilates it. The rioters, all wearing Joker masks, reach in and see that he is actually the prisoner in the back seat. So they pull him out. And again, the detail and the nuance. They pull him out in a very kind of biblical, Christ-like way. His body is limp. It's like when, you know, when the apostles held Jesus almost. And then they lay him on the car and they just look at him and he starts coughing. And he looks around and he stands up and he's bleeding from his mouth due to the impact of the ambulance hitting the police car. And the score of this film, which is absolutely breathtaking. It really is just breathtaking. The young lady's name who who did the music, I believe her name is Hildur daughter I'm sure I got it wrong, but if you you can go to iTunes, you can go to Spotify and look up the soundtrack, particularly the the piece that's called the uh, the bathroom dance. Listen to it. I'm all about musical scores. I love. I mean, a lot of these musical scores automatically help us identify with these films. You know, the Superman. You know, dun, 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 you know, the Batman themes and, you know, that ominous, you know, we we gravitate immediately to We're like, oh, man, you know, that's Batman, that's Superman, whatever the case. This theme that is only primarily primarily a cello, I believe it's only one instrument. That is the Joker. It shouldn't be something maniacal and crazy. It should be deep, profound, broken raw, uncomfortable. And in that music is where he stands on the police car and he looks around him and he sees what he has created, the chaos and the people cheering him and he dances and he dances with just glee. And then... This is where the film, in my opinion, solidified its greatness. Is that during all this chaos, you have a family running out of a theater. A husband, a wife, and a little boy. Trying to outrun the chaos and the screaming. And as they run out of the theater, they make a right down an alley. As they're making that right towards the alley, there's a man wearing a clown mask who sees this couple and this boy walk down the alley. That man behind the clown mask recognizes Thomas Wayne, uh, an aloof billionaire who doesn't care about his city, who doesn't care about poor people, at least in the mind of, of of this assailant, of this man. And as Thomas and Martha Wayne along with Bruce, are walking down this alley to avoid the chaos that the Joker has created. This man who's following them calls out to Thomas Wayne. He pulls out a gun. 
and he says, hey, Thomas Wayne, you get what you fucking deserve. Thomas Wayne stands in front of his son to protect him, and he gets shot. Martha screams, tries to protect the boy. She also gets shot leaving Bruce to stand there surrounded by his dead parents as the assailant takes off. In that moment, you had the birth of the Dark Knight coincide with the dawn of the Joker. That is what you call taking the elements, the history, the details of two characters that have been around for almost 80 years. You take it as an artist, as a director, as a writer, and you bring all of these moments together to make a film that is an absolute masterpiece, in my humble opinion. It is not only possibly one of the greatest comic book films, it's easily in my top three or top five because i know i did my countdown not so long ago you know what no that was mcu so this just film wise this is one of my top three it was just perfect and then and i remember looking around the theater and people's jaws were literally open they couldn't believe what they saw you saw people kind of shifting in their chairs throughout the movie because it was a hard watch. It was uncomfortable. This is not a fun movie. And it wasn't supposed to be, and that's why it's brilliant. But the ending, the ending is what made me reevaluate it. And it was a testament that the film is a masterpiece. The movie ends with author speaking to a social worker, much as he did throughout the beginning of the film. But now it's in custody in an asylum, in Arkham Asylum. So he's told this story to the social worker in a white room, in a straitjacket. And he begins to laugh. And the woman asks him, Arthur, what's so funny? And he says, you know, you just wouldn't get the joke. And the song by Frank Sinatra called That's Life Begins to Play, which was also played throughout the beginning of the film. And it shows Joaquin walking out of the room. But as he's walking out, he's leaving bloody footprints behind, suggesting that something happened to the social worker in that room. And then he begins to take off running and he's being chased in the asylum. And that is the way the film ends. One of the reasons why I give this film my highest possible rating of five stars is because for the two hours that we saw this film, we were being told by the point of view, supposedly of the Joker, everything we had witnessed, everything we were told, everything on screen before us, was told by the perspective of the one person who 
you could least trust in him telling you his story. Of course, he's going to want to play himself as the, as the victim. Of course, he's going to want to say he had a hard life. Of course, he's going to say that he was abused. Is it true? We don't know. But him being the Joker, it's more probable that he's saying this to benefit from it. To excuse his insanity and the things that he does. And if you're a comic reader and you've seen some of the stories and the things he's done, everything from paralyzing Batgirl to beating an, uh, uh, an incarnation of Robin to death with, uh, uh, what is it, a... Uh, a crowbar you know you know the heinous things this character has done absolutely absolutely amazing movie if you have not seen the joker by all means see it i my apologies that this was not a spoiler free review i just realized it now with two minutes left into this podcast and i'm terribly sorry for anything i may have given away i, I promise that on my social media and uh, before pressing play on, on your preferred platforms, that I will make a clear notation that this is a spoiler-filled review. Uh, but it's been a year out, so I think most of you have seen it. Uh, if not, please forgive me if I've given anything away, and if I have, still see the movie. My words can do it no justice. I'm doing this for the sake of self-gratification and to to profess my love for this film, but absolutely absolutely amazing one of the greatest single comic book films you will ever see joaquin deserved that academy award for best actor this was a master class in portraying a character a fictional character at that please see the film there are talks of possibly a sequel there have been talks of possibly bringing Joaquin into the DC Cinematic Universe. We do not know. I'm all for it if they're going to do it right. If they're not, leave it alone. Leave him alone. Let this film stand on its own merit as it deserves to. But this film is a gift and it was an absolute masterpiece. My final review, five stars across the board. Guys, thank you as always for joining me and for giving me your valuable time I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it for you. Not sure what I'm going to jump on next week. Uh, I'll make an announcement through my Instagram handle, so please be sure to follow me on So Have You Seen on Instagram. Or if you want me to touch on a certain subject, shoot me an email. So have you seen one, the number one, at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to take a couple of things into consideration. In the meantime, stay safe, wash your hands, wear your masks, take care of each other like all good superheroes do. And I will see you next week for a new episode of So Have You Seen. Thank you again, guys. Be well. Bye-bye.